0: Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. We have two weeks left in the book of Hebrews. Um, if you need a blue Bible, there on the back table there. Um, we have two weeks left in this, in this book. This week and the next week is going to be sort of our big Hebrews finale. And if you've, uh, if you've been here for any of the Hebrews messages, which today included, would be included in that, uh, you want to be here next week. Uh, as we wrap up the book, as we kind of look at the whole entire thrust of the book of Hebrews, but today um, we're going to dive into Hebrews chapter twelve, starting in verse fourteen, and then we're going to hit a little bit in chapter thirteen as well. But before we do that, let's go ahead and pray together. God, thank you uh, again for this time that we can come here and and be on this journey together. That we don't have to do this alone, uh, but it, in fact we've been we've been saved uh, to be in community with you and with our brothers and sisters, and so we thank you for this gift of community, of corporate worship, this reminder for us uh, each week, and so we thank you for this time. Uh, we do ask that you open our eyes, open our hearts. If there's anything left that we need to learn from the book of Hebrews, which I'm sure there is, I ask that you teach us this morning and next week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, chapter 12, verse 14 says this, make every effort to live at peace with all men and to be holy. Make every effort to live at peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So what's what's happening here is we've we've just had this deep conversation all throughout the book of Hebrews, uh, talking uh, uh, about this just a robust theology, uh, presenting this this a, a new way to look at everything. There's a new Adam. There's there's a new people of God. There's a new slavery. Uh, a, a, there's a new kind of liberation. There's a new high priest, which which is forever now intercessing. For us, uh, on on behalf of us, with the Father, there's a new lamb which has been offered and which has been slain. And and this lamb has taken away the sin of the world forever. And not only the sin, but the guilt of sin, it says. The sin and the guilt of sin this lamb has has taken away as he's been offered once and for all. And through this lamb, this God, our Father, it has it shows us that he loves us and that he's reconciled us with him and then as a father he disciplines us and it makes sense of the struggles that we face in life this is a this has been a deep book hasn't it i mean there's a lot packed in here and we've we've sort of even as deep as we've gone we've really just been hitting a lot of surface stuff and there's a lot more there that we could just spend years on but what we're finding and this is what i'm recovering as I'm uh, reading this is that, is that this just makes sense of the world we live in. Looking at this f- robust theology that's being presented in Hebrews and, and this of what it means to love God, of what it means to be reconciled with God. And now as, as the author is sort of closing out this book in these final couple, couple chapters, he now turns and focuses on this new community. These, these Jesus followers, these people who have been reconciled with God, the church. And so what we're going to do over the next two weeks is focus on this new community and what it means to be church. And it's a community marked by grace. And, and as, as he starts it out, make, make every effort to live at peace with all men. Make every effort. If you've ever lived, if you've lived any life at all, you know that peace doesn't come naturally, Right? I mean, we think it does. We think that we can just kind of like go about our business. We don't have to be intentional. We can just kind of do life and sip coffee and do what we want to do. And and hopefully peace will just come about naturally. But the reality is, is if there is going to be peace within uh, the world, within the city, and within this church, if we're going to learn what it means to live at peace with each other, it takes a lot of intentionality. It takes a lot of sit-downs, a lot of eye-to-eye conversations, uh, a, a lot of Confrontations, a lot, a lot of, a lot of coffees, right? And we do a lot of coffees around here, uh, but it takes a lot of intentionality to figure out what it means then to live at peace with one another. And uh, uh, all right, verse 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. So this new community then is a community marked by grace. And this is kind of the, what we're going to be talking about today is this, is we don't really know what grace is. We think we do, and, and, and maybe we do at times, but I think a lot of times we miss it. What it means to truly be a community of grace. <coughs> Continue in 15. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that nobody misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up, which causes many to miss it. This is a, a weed from my garden. Have you ever seen a weed that large before? <laughs> you should see the rest of them. They're massive. I've been like, working for days trying to de-weed my garden. And uh, the, the, what's, what's happening in my soil is I'll pull these things out. And it looks nice. You know, there's like, there's just like a rose bush there and that's it. You know, and and dirt. Um, But what's happening is there are these roots growing underneath the surface which pretty soon sprouts up with a little guy, you know, like this and and, and turns into something like that and larger. And these things are destructive. They're killing my bushes. They really are. And their roots, like, uh, this root broke off. I can't even get the roots out. Um, I was growing, uh, a couple years ago, growing... A garden in pots and I had some lettuce growing in one pot and uh, there were weeds that had grown up along with the lettuce and I didn't realize it until I cut the lettuce off and made a salad and started eating it and I was like it's disgusting and it was like really bitter and I was like poisoned and almost died not really but it was gross it really was (laughs) what's that I felt like I was dying right, and we're going to talk about that with Esau actually wow it's um, my mind just jumped forward, sorry. See to it that no bitter roots grow up among you in a happy church. there can be bitter roots growing that we don't see in our local church right here. there can be bitter roots growing underneath the surface, and everything looks nice and it looks healthy. And there can be bitter roots that are growing. See to it that there are no bitter roots growing. Because often what, ha- what happens is these roots spring up and they look a lot like the lettuce. And we don't even realize that they're weeds until we taste them. And something's just not right anymore. Something's not right anymore. And, and we see churches fall apart all the time. Because bitter roots grow and then they turn into plants that look a lot like the lettuce, and it's and, and it all gets confusing, and it tastes disgusting. See that no bitter roots grow. And as an example of what a bitter root looks like as it's springing up. Um, in in a church, in a local church, in our church, there can be disagreements. Uh, Maybe some doctrinal differences, maybe some, you know, uh, maybe we could say non-essential doctrinal differences, um, some ethical differences, political differences. You could have a Republican and a conservative sitting side by side. and, And have differences. And if there are no bitter roots growing up, underneath the surface, those differences will come up, they'll be talked about, and we will find a way to live at peace with all men. We will find a way to love beyond the differences. However, if there are bitter roots growing underneath the surface, disagreements become smoke screens for personal agendas. And, and you, you, everything's fine, and you see there's a little disagreement over something, and all of a sudden, all of these weeds come out. And we see it, and it's all hanging out. We see what has been lying underneath the surface for a long time and it leads to sinful uh, partings and bitterness, and it's disgusting. So then, how, as we develop a community of grace, as, we, as we're seeking to be a people that are following this book, and, and, and a New Testament local church, how do we uh, see to it, then, that there are no bitter roots growing beneath the surface? And it goes back to that, that line, make every effort, To live at peace with all men. Or I'm sorry, it goes back to uh, the beginning of verse 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it that nobody misses God's grace. N.T. Wright puts it like this. Our other members of the community must take care of each other at this point. Must watch out for one another and make sure grace is reaches everyone. When we begin to think of our uh, grace as being a hallmark of our church and what it means to be a community of grace, at the core is this, this place where we are looking each other in the face and seeing to it, holding each other up and seeing to it that no one is missing that Grace. And then with that said, the author then goes into this story of of Esau. Look at verse 16. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit uh, this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind though he sought the blessing with tears. In holding each other up, and being able to look each other in the eyes and make sure we're not missing the grace of God, he says, see to it, that nobody is like Esau. And he brings up this old Jewish story of of Esau, the the grandson of Abraham, the, the son of Isaac, Esau, who for a single meal A bowl of pottage, a bowl of stew, peppers, onions, potatoes, all mixed together with some broth, whatever, however you make stew, I don't know, pottage, it's a a thick stew. For for one single meal, he sold his birthright, which, who, by the way, Abraham was his grandfather. What was the blessing that God gave Abraham? Through his seed, God will bless the entire world. Through his seed, the Messiah will come. And that that blessing, that inheritance then was passed on to the firstborn his son Isaac and then passed down again to the firstborn son Esau. That's the inheritance we're talking about. This line, this messianic line of being the people that God blesses the entire world through. And he sold his inheritance for one bowl of stew. And afterward, he was rejected, even though he sought it with tears. If any one of us and Andy Stanley I, I heard Andy Stanley in Atlanta, and he painted this picture so beautifully if any one of us could uh, go back to this moment when Esau walks in the door, and he's, he's been out all night, he's hunting, he's, he's tired, he's weak, he walks in the door, slams it behind him. And what does he say? Do you remember? He's like, I'm I'm about to die. I need to eat. I'm going to die. Now, we know he's not going to die because he just said, I'm about to die. (laughs) He just walked in the door. So evidently, he's not about to die. But he thinks he is. Because he's so consumed with his hunger. He's so consumed with his flesh, with, 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 with the lust of having something to fulfill him, to complete him. He's so consumed and so focused on that that he feels like he's about to die. He feels close to death. And at this point he comes in and Jacob, the younger son, who's not going to receive the blessing, who's not going to receive this messianic line, Jacob, the younger son, um, wises up like most younger sons do. And he goes, ah, I, I I can make a profit off of this. And he says, I will sell you a bowl of my stew that I'm making here if you will sell me your, um, if you'll give me your inheritance. If you'll give me the father's line, his blessing. And if any one of us could go back in that moment and and get in Esau's face before he makes this transaction, knowing what we know now, This side of the cross, living as a New Testament believer, looking back on the whole scope of things. If we could go back and if we could look at Esau just before he sells the birthright. And we could say, Esau, do you realize that if you walk away from the stew right now, if if you keep your birthright, if you keep this blessing, do you realize what's going to come through your line? That that your children's children are going to be in Egypt and enslaved. And then there's going to be this great liberation and they're going to wander in the desert for some years. But they're not going to stay in the desert. They're going to be brought to this land. And they're in this promised land, which God has promised to your grandfather Abraham in this promised land. This great people is going to grow. your, Your family is going to turn into this great nation. They're going to be known as... Uh, the 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 house of esau you will be known as the father of god's people and through your seed the messiah the chosen one will who who's coming to bless and and transform the entire world through your seed The Messiah is going to come and he's going to be called by some the star out of Esau. And forever and ever and ever people are going to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Do you realize what you're about to exchange? Do you realize what you're about to sell for this lousy, stupid bowl of stew? This beautiful plan that God has for your seed is going to completely be altered because of the decision you're about to make with this lust for more, for something, to, to complete your physical desire. And if, if you do it, if you, if you take the stew, if you take the stew, Jacob's children's children will wander through the wilderness will end up in the promised land. They will be called the house of Jacob. And Jacob will be known as the father of God's people, Israel. And through his seed, the Messiah will come and will be called by some the star out of Jacob. And forever and ever people will worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If, If you could get into his face right now, wouldn't you, say, wouldn't you try to explain something here? This is what you're doing. You have this, your, your father's inheritance. And we talked about the father's inheritance a little bit last week. You have your father's inheritance coming to you. Everything that's been promised to your father is going to be passed on through you. And you're about to sell that. You're going to miss that grace of your father. You're going to sell it because of this bowl of... Of stew. Is there any place in your life where the stew looks so much better than following Christ? And um, figuratively speaking, it might be right in front of you, it smells good, it looks good, and you're considering trading the grace of God found in following Christ in, in this community in, in a biblical New Testament kind of, you're considering trading that for this bowl of stew. Whatever plan God might have for your life, it's possible that, that you could walk away from that right now because this looks so good. And if I knew if I if I knew what that was for you. If I knew what what God could do through your life from now until the time you die. If I knew what that looks like and then I knew what that bowl of stew was for you. If I could get in your face and be like, "Don't do it. Don't take the bowl of stew. It's not worth it." If I could get in your face, I would. And that's grace. That's a community of grace in which we can look one another in the eyes and have some difficult conversations. This is what I believe the author of Hebrews is painting here. What does it mean to be a community of grace? What does it mean to be a community of grace? At the core, it means... Being a community of grace begins with understanding that we do not continue sinning so that grace may abound. That's where it begins. We don't continue sinning so grace may abound. Being a community of grace means seeing to it that nobody in your midst misses the grace of God. That nobody sells what it is that God might have for them sells that for a lousy bowl of stew. Some, some people can be so focused on one aspect of grace that they're, they're, the friends around them are looking at a bowl of stew and sniffing it and smelling it and considering trading something beautiful for the bowl of stew, and they're so focused on one aspect of quote-unquote grace that they're going to let them take the bowl of stew and eat it and trade what God might have for them. Or they're, they're eating stew themselves, <coughs> And we call that being a community of grace. Do you guys see what I'm saying here? Are you tracking with me? This is what we typically do. We, we typically fall in, into two different sort of paradigms. One is a community of legalism. Where we, we perform religious or irreligious behaviors with the intent of gaining the approval of God or other people. We, we perform religious or irreligious. Sometimes we think, oh, we're not gonna be a legalistic community, we'll be irreligious, and you're just as legalistic as any religious community. You're performing religious or irreligious behaviors for the approval, to win the approval of God or other people. Often how this might play out is something as simple as coming together for church on Sunday. You're coming? Why? It's because you, you believe that if you do, God will be happier with you. Because of the stuff that you just did last week, because you forgot to pray all week, that you better get, get to church so God will be happy with you. That's legalism. It's forgetting that God through Christ is already happy with you. It's not by works of righteousness, which we do. It's according to his grace. He has saved us. So we don't want to be a community of legalism, but often what happens is we have this pendulum swing and we become a community of tolerance. And what I mean by that, the word tolerance is kind of a tweaked word. So I want to be careful with how I explain this, but we can do this pendulum swing to where we're a community of tolerance because we want to be people of grace. We want to seek grace. But we sort of pervert it. And we say, you know, like, I really think that they're eating the stew, but I'm not going to say anything, because I don't know who might to judge? I'm not, I, I can't get, I can't look at them and say, I don't think you should eat that. And so what happens then is we, we all kind of hold our tongues and we sit back and we never have loving, honest but difficult conversations with each other in the name of grace. And the ironic thing is, through doing that, we're all missing the grace of God. We're missing the grace of God. We're missing it. We're perverting grace. It's not grace. And so then, what, what I hope we become here at the Garden, and I, I hope this is what we are, and I hope we continue to become like this, and I think this is the picture that's being painted here in Hebrews, is that grace begins with being able to look at each other and say, don't be like Esau. Don't trade that for this. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. In in our culture, um, we have, I would say, four major bowls of stew that look really good and I'm going to draw four bowls. Think I can do it? Maybe I should get Sean to do it, the artist in the community. All right, there's three bowls and how about one more? Those are nice bowls. If you don't see the bowls there, then you are not an artist. I'm, I'm just going gonna... to... It's kind of a tub. a tub. It's a tub of stew. All right, four bowls. Good. Skip over to chapter 13. Look at verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Keep on... Just just like he said, uh, um, make make every effort to, to, to keep peace, to make peace with all all people. He then... 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, he says, keep on loving each other. Keep on loving each other. So, first of all, as we're talking about this, like, seeing to it that nobody's like Esau, this doesn't mean that we don't love each other. It's rooted in love. And so, as we keep on loving each other, he actually begins to address each one of these four areas. And I'm just going to write them down. The first one is power. The second one is comfort. The third one is sex, and the fourth one is money. (coughs) How do we keep on loving each other as a community of grace? And he he begins to look at each one of these bowls of stew. Power. What do we typically do with power? And power isn't a bad thing, by the way. I mean, everybody has power to some degree. If you have an apartment and a table, and some food in your cabinets, then you have uh, power. You have a certain amount of power. What do we typically do with power? So flaunt it. Flaunt it. I think just on, on a basic level, I think, Toshio? Power? Powder? What did he say? Oh, powder? powder. Yeah, we put powder on ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I said power. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's true though we do put powder try to control, control people exactly I think one thing that we're tempted to do is just to keep it for ourselves if we have a, an apartment we have a table and we have food in the cupboards to, to keep it for ourselves to let power just sort of bless us and maintain us whatever lifestyle we want to live look at verse 2 Chapter 13. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. The new community of grace is a community which is marked by generosity. Radical generosity. For those within the church, those within the local body, the brothers and sisters right here in the rec center, uh, Marked by mutual affection, financial help for those in need, hospitality. These things marked the early church. That's what they were known for. Read some first century writings. The early church was, were, was known for these things. But something else marked the early church. And that was their radical love for all people. Not, not just the people in their own tribe. And I say radical love because this was radical In the first century, much like today, you pretty much take care of your own. Take care of the people in your own tribe. And there's never sharing outside of the tribe. It doesn't make sense. Because if it doesn't build you up, then why? But what marked the early church was this radical love for all people. There was an emperor in Rome, which I've talked about this before, an emperor in Rome who despised the Christians because they not only took care of their own poor, they're taking care of our poor as well. And they're making us look bad. Entertain strangers. Let them sit at the table. All people. A favor to the whole city. And if, if this is not something that's marking the church, then something's off. Something's wrong. We're eating, we're eating the bowl of stew that we shouldn't be eating. And we need to be able to look at each other and say, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know about that purchase. I don't know about this. I don't know about, you know, and, and challenge each other, strengthen each other. The second one, comfort. Comfort. Uh, look at verse verse three. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated As if you yourselves were suffering. Now we've talked a lot about suffering. There's so much theology around suffering in the book of Hebrews. And I think it's been a phenomenal, uh, I know just me personally, just reading it and and learning about what it means to suffer with joy. But comfort is, I mean, is comfort not one of these bowls of stew that we often are looking at? And we're like, man, that looks really Good. You know, I feel like God is calling me here, but this looks really nice, really comfortable. I don't, I don't know if I can take that. And we're going to trade that for this. Remember those in prison, he says. And of course, these are people who are being locked up for their faith. And here in, in the States, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this reality but if we, if we look at Christianity across the globe, today, Mother's Day, May 7th, st- statistically, May 8th, statistically, there will be 470 Christians murdered today across the globe. 470 Christians murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ across the globe. Since Christ, since the birth of this movement around Christ, there have been 70 million people murdered for their faith in Christ, and uh, 45.5 million of those, 65%, were in the 20th century. So we, we often we think of this as like a first century thing, or as Rome or you know, the Colosseum, the catacombs, these mart- over half, 65%. Of those murdered for their faith in Christ, documented at least, were in the 20th century. Remember those in prison, our brothers and sisters in prison. Pray for your brothers and sisters in prison who are being locked up, who are being persecuted, who are being killed for their faith and, and, and I, can, I think we can even broaden this in a, in a culture, in a world which locks everybody up for every reason remember those in prison when it's hard to get out of jail and re-enter into life we've got to remember those in prison comfort is not where we want to where, where, where we want to die the third one Sex, it's a big one. What do we usually do with sex? <laughs> Abuse it, yeah. We use it for our own enjoyment, for our own selfish desires. The first century, when this was written, it was as prom- promiscuous as our culture is today. And the early church was called to to live in a absolutely countercultural uh, way when it came to sexual ethic. A letter letter that I've read before. I, I read I, I talk about this letter letter to de Diognetus. Talk about this a couple times every year, I think. Um, in the letter. This guy's writing to Diagnetus, trying to explain the early church, trying to say this is who these people are. And in the letter, he says, one of the things that is so crazy about these people, and it marks them, it's what they're known for, is they share their table with all, and they share their bed with none. They share their table with all. Strangers, come on in, eat. I've got food. You need food. They share their table with all and they share their bed with none they're absolutely generous with their resources and they're counterculturally stingy with their beds look at look at the next verse verse 4 marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for god will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral and notice it says god will judge The adulterer and the sexually immoral? God will judge? So you can leave that up to God. And the marriage bed is kept pure. And it's this this concept is is simple in the scriptures. It really is. In In our culture, what we like to do is compartmentalize things. So we like to say: my religious life is here, my secular life is here. Um, my, my bank account, house, and 401k is here, and my sexual life is here. And so we will completely open ourselves up, take off our clothes, completely physically share ourselves with another person in every way, absolute vulnerability, yet we're not yet willing to share our 401k, our house, our, our, our bank account, our children. And the Bible just doesn't see it that way. God, the, the Bible presents life as more holistic than that. Meaning, if, if, uh, if you're not going to share everything, then don't share everything. Um, if you're going to uh, share your... Your house, your bank account your your children with this person, then share your entire life with this person don 't plan on jumping around sharing you, you see what i 'm saying it 's just this holistic i 'm going to give everything to this person, and then it 's marked by that that moment and we, we call it marriage, that moment where we come into union with this person and we share. Absolutely everything, that moment is defined and marked by physical sharing. And therefore, physical sharing is not recreation or something just casually done to show affection or love for someone. Physical sharing is the symbol of the the marriage covenant coming together as one, symbolizing the marriage covenant, symbolizing we're sharing everything forever. Until we die, we're coming together. And then every time a man and a wife come together in this union, every time, what it's doing is it's reminding each party of the covenant that they made 10 years ago, whatever. Similar to, and I've shared this before, similar to communion. Every time we come and we take communion, what is it doing? It's reminding us of the covenant that we have with God through Jesus Christ. It's this beautiful, intimate... That's why we do it every week. I I feel it's it's so important. We're not going to do it once every three months here. We do communion every week because it is that weekly reminder where we come and we intimately share the body and the blood of Christ, remind ourselves of the covenant of love that we have with God forever and ever. Sex is the same thing. It's this beautiful, intimate reminder of... This covenant of sharing everything. Life, union. Power, comfort, sex. I mean, these are, these are definitely bowls that we fall for, isn't, aren't they? <laughs> and then the last one, money. Um, and maybe money gets more of us than, uh, than we realize. We are freed from the love of money. Look at verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, "Never will I leave you; never will I forsake you." Be content with what you have. Therefore, be freed from the love of money. And this isn't to glorify poverty and say that if you're living in poverty, you're going to be happier. And you know that's that's a whole nother like extreme. But and so we're not seeking poverty. We're not seeking wealth. We're not seeking money. We're, we're what we're seeking is Christ. And we're content with what we have, and we're freed up from the love of money. Now, when you love something or someone, you make sacrifices for them, right? When I was <laughs> I almost said when I was in love with, her. when I was falling in love. <laughs> I'm thinking when, I, when I first was falling in love with my wife, who I still love today. My li- I, I changed a lot of things in those early days, which and most of those changes remain, and I've have I've had new changes. Anyway, what I'm saying is, I began sacrificing sacrificing things for Jess when I began falling in love with her. I didn't hang out with a bunch of guys as much as I used to. I didn't, I don't know, we, uh, I haven't really thought it through, but I made a lot of sacrifices, right? <laughs> um, I took her out on dates, sacrificed money. Yeah. Um, but uh, when, when we love something or someone, we sacrifice for them. It's just a natural, a natural result. When you find yourself sacrificing something... Something in your life, so that you can follow where money is beckoning you. Consider that a danger, a signal that you're you're falling in love with money. Because we can we can say I don't love money. You know I, I I'm not like pulling out my dollars and sleeping with them and kissing them and loving them and you know you're so cute. Oh, I just want to squeeze you. <laughs> but if we think of it in terms of sacrifice, we're, we're sacrificing this. We're sacrificing um, this this commitment that I've had over here. We're sacrificing this uh, opportunity to serve in this way. We're sacrificing gathering for worship. We're sacrificing our marriages or our families. We're sacrificing all of these things to follow the money. Where money's calling us, more money. When we begin sacrificing in this way, we have to realize that that is a a, a signal of danger, that you're falling in love or you already are in love with money. And to be freed from the love of money is absolutely freeing. It's unbelievably freeing. And I've experienced that in my life. It's like the shackles just fall off. You're freed from it. I'm going to be content with what I have. I'm going to do my best with what I have. I'm going to I t- took a Dave Ramsey class to figure out how to pay my bills. But I'm freed from the love of it. The shackles fall off. Look at verse 6. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid what can man do to me we say with confidence confidence in our faith helps us stay away from these bowls when we lack confidence if we if we're not confident in who christ is we're not confident in the scriptures it's going to be so easy for us to fall into these temptations and say that's more important because i'm just not sure about these other things verse 7 Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, in particular, he's talking about the leaders in this church right here. The the Hebrew Christians that are listening to this, it's their pastors, it's their elders, it's their leaders. And he's he's telling them, look at them. Remember your leaders. Why? Because these are people who are confident in their faith. These are people who and as we're reading this, these are people who are living out this kind of radical sort of commitment to Christ. I mean, we've, we've read about just the, the challenges, challenges that they're facing and the, the reality that they might lose their life and, the reality, and some of their leaders that he might be referring to may have already been imprisoned or, or dead. And he's saying, remember them. The kind of confidence that they had in, in their walk with Christ the confidence that they had in their faith, the outcome then of their life, joy, peace, long suffering, all of these marks of the Spirit. Remember them. So we can develop the confidence in our faith. So we can we can dive into the scriptures. So we we can we can Look at somebody and say, will, will you disciple me? Will you come along and teach? I'm struggling in some areas. Will you come along and will you teach me some things? I need more confidence in my faith. I'm lacking confidence. I'm lacking joy. I'm, I'm lacking hope. And, and these, some of these bowls are really looking good to me. The question that you have to answer is this. And I, I, I want to just close with this question. Leave you with this: What is your bowl of stew? What is the bowl of stew, pottage, that looks so enticing? What is it that that you just might be willing to walk away to trade the grace of God, maybe even unknowingly, for this? What is the bowl of stew in your life? Is it a habit? Is it an affair? Is it pornography? Is it money? Is it comfort? Is it stinginess with your resources but not stinginess with your bed? What is your bowl of stew? What looks enticing? What are you about to trade it all for? I want to invite you on this journey of discovering what it means to be a community of grace. Which, which is coming along, aside each other, coming together and saying, look, I've got bowls of stew in my life and it is okay for you to look me in the eyes and lovingly and humbly and, and with, 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 with the love of Christ exuding from me to look at me in the eyes and say, I don't think... You should be trading all this for that. That's why I love our house communities. they are opportunities for us to share in some real ways. I, I've invited uh, two guys into my life on Wednesday mornings at 6.30 in the garden here. And I, we get together, the three of us, and I basically say, here are the bowls of stew in my life, and I want you guys to make sure that I don't get, in, get into them. I mean, this—that's grace. That's being a community of grace. It's not just sitting on our hands and saying, "Oh, this is nice. Do whatever you feel like doing." You know, I'm not. You know, that's missing the grace. But what we're trying to do here, as a church, as, as a understanding what it means to be a, a New Testament local community of faith, is, is to develop ourselves in such a way. That we can have these conversations in humility, in love. And here's the reality. I've drawn drawn this before. This is what I believe is a mark of the early church. And I hope it is a mark of us as a church. If we could say that this is the spiritual continuum. And this right here is... Um, Satan I'm going to draw it's like so uh, goofy but you get the idea <laughs> that's Christ <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible and I know nothing is ever this simple but this is an absolute like no relationship with God at all just complete disconnect from God what you, you, you hate the Lord You want nothing to do with them. And this is Jesus Christ himself. We're all somewhere on this journey. We're all somewhere on the journey right there. Some of you uh, might be here, and um, because of last night, you're now here. (laughs) Um, Some of you were here uh, when when you showed up this morning, and now you're about here, you know? And and it's a journey that, I mean, it's not a linear sort of uh, process like we're, we're, you know, step, 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 and then all of a sudden we arrive at perfection. You know, there's always there's always distance between us and the cross. There's always uh, this this recognition that we are missing the grace, we're missing the gospel, we're missing the cross, we're missing Christ, and we're going to repent, we're going to fall on our knees, and we're going to keep pushing, and we're going to figure out what that next step is for us to take. And so for somebody here, then um, your next step will look totally different from this person's next step. And where it becomes legalism is when this person says, this is my next step, and you need to be making that next step as well. That's where we start to fall into legalism. Or, or we could re- reverse that. When this person says, you know, this person's moving here, this person says, whoa, you're too crazy, that's too much for me, you, this, is where, this is where we need to be staying. That's legalism. Um, or what I'm calling tolerance and I know that's a loaded word but what I'm calling tolerance is when we just say um, it doesn't matter where you are I'm never going to encourage you to take any steps towards Christ and uh, just kind of do your own thing as you see fit it's like why even journey together what's the point A community of grace is coming together and saying from what we can see in the scriptures from what we can understand This is what Jesus looks like. This is what it looks like to be a New Testament church. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And we're going to push that direction in love and in humility as brothers and sisters, knowing that that Christ is our senior pastor. And we're going to keep pushing, keep encouraging one another. And so, with that said, in a community of grace, which is not the case in a community of legalism, in a community of grace... Anybody and everybody is invited on the journey no matter where you're at on the journey. No matter what faith system you have, no matter your uh, ethnicity, your social status, your orientation, your uh, race, What everybody is invited on the journey. Everybody's like, come on, let's, let's figure this out together. And then everybody on the journey is now held accountable, is held up in love, is encouraged by one another to keep pushing towards the cross, to keep pushing towards Jesus Christ. Let's end with verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever and ever. The, the the message of the gospel isn't for tomorrow only. It's not for when we get this phase of our life figured out. It's not for when... Um, your, your kids are out of the house and, and you can relax again. It's not for when you retire. It's not for when you get your house paid off or for when you buy a house. It's, it's not for when this certain journey, struggle that you're on is over. It's not for when we as a church become self supportive and we're able to do more in the community. The, the, the beauty and the message of the gospel is for today. It's for this moment. It's for this decision. It's for this journey. It's for this trial, this struggle today and it's the promise of tomorrow that keeps pushing us forward so I guess all I have to say to end it, I don't have a wowing ending today Um, but I just want to say I'm glad you guys are on this journey with me I'm I'm glad I thank God that I'm not trying to to take this journey by myself having to figure out what it means to follow Christ in all areas of my life not trying to figure that out on my own and I've got some amazing brothers and sisters who are coming together as a family and as a team and we can come up with a bunch of different analogies for who we are uh, I'm just glad that you guys are on this journey with me so thank you this was, a, like, this was just like a long thank you to you guys That's all this was this morning, and we're going to celebrate on the 28th all that God is doing in our midst. Amen? Amen. Giddy up. (laughs) Let's pray. God, we embrace you this morning as as a God of community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you have demonstrated to us, uh, even in yourself, in the Godhead, uh, this community of love and togetherness and grace. And God... We, we thank you that, that you have brought us together to be a earthly representation of you. And I ask that you do knit us together as a community of grace. And that in, uh, in love and in humility, we can encourage one another to never miss your grace in our lives. To never take advantage of your grace in our lives. And God, I pray that there are, um, that we will never become a community of legalism or a community of perverted grace, but we will just completely continue to focus our attention on Christ. Unite us. Help us. If there is anyone this morning, God, who has a a, a bowl of stew in front of them that looks and smells really good and they're considering trading all of this for that, God, convict them. I pray that they won't walk out of here without, without talking to somebody, a brother or a sister, without confiding in somebody, asking for some prayer and some help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.